Welcome to another edition of The Electric Chair. Of course, I am your host, Midnight Corey. Thank you for listening. You can find me at electricchairshow.com and also my weird, weird website slash blog, whatever you want to call it, midnightcorey.com. This week, I am really honored uh, to be talking with a man that, uh, I, you know, before the show, I was thinking about this. I have been talking about him pretty much the entire time I've been podcasting, going back, you know, five, six years ago to when I was doing the Midnight Podcast and talking about exclusively zombie things. Um, this is an author that obviously came up time and time again. Uh, I was really close with uh, Library of the Living Dead and Dr. Puss, and so Doc would talk about him all the time. And uh, he's, the, he's actually the one that got me turned on to him. And so I uh, read his books. I actually met him at Horror Realms years ago. And um, I've, you know, been in touch with him here and there since, but he's so prolific um, that I just can't keep up with him now. Of course, I am talking about writer extraordinaire, Mr. David Dunwoody. Dave, thanks for joining me tonight, man. Corey, thanks for having me. Oh, huge honor, huge honor. Um, you know, the, the thing that sticks out in my mind and that uh, I just can't thank you enough for is back when I was doing uh, the Midnight Corey podcast. And of course, you know, I, I change podcasts every two years or so, you know, because I get bored with what I'm doing. I just change. Um, yeah. But no, when I was doing that one, uh, I held a flash fiction contest and uh, I was talking with Eric S. Brown about it. And he's like, you know, it'd be fun. He's like, and uh, let uh, let me and, and uh, David Dunwoody be the judges of this contest and just have people send in their flash fiction and we'll, we'll have fun. We'll judge them. And, and that was really cool because Eric's another guy that I really respect um, and uh, having you on there, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like I have the celebrity panel on here right now for uh, you know reading these stories, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, I never got to thank you in person for doing that, but that was uh, definitely very cool. And uh, they're still available up to to read and everything and to hear that show. But that was great. Yeah, that was, and it was a pleasure to do. I appreciate being able to be a part of it. That was, you know, that back um, horror realm. We we uh, we talked in person back in '09, and that was such a I mean, I don't know if it if it feels the same for for the uh, the new zombie writers today, and I mean, <laughs> as if like 2009 was a lifetime ago. But that was such a like an exciting time, and it felt like um, the zombie literary craze was just exploding. I remember that that we the all the different authors from Permuted Library of the Living Dead we seemed to dominate like a third of the room. Yeah, Puss brought. I don't know how many hundred books sold all of them. It was, it was just that was I feel like I, I got in on it like just right at the right time and just got caught up in that tidal wave and, and swept along with, you know, everybody else. Oh, yeah. I look back at that just uh, so fondly. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was just being there and hanging out with everyone, having a good time. But that was that was such a special time. And yeah. uh, it is funny that it was only, what, like four years ago now. So it, it really wasn't that long ago. But it seems like uh, the genre, you know, and, and you, you're, how would you describe like your, your genre? I, I, I think of you as like an apocalyptic guy. You write a lot of zombie stuff, but I, it's not exclusively zombies by any means. But you're, you're more of like an apocalyptic horror sort of, you, you pull from a lot of, a lot of uh, different uh um, inspirations and, and genres and things, but what, what would you, how would you classify yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I jump all over the place. I feel like hmm, speculative fiction's a little too open. I guess 
dark fiction, although in people, you know, well, what does that mean? You, I mean, you're right. I do tend to focus in more on apocalyptic type scenarios. I have been moving more and more away from zombies. Not that I'm done with zombies. I just, after, you know, uh, God, I don't know. I, I, I wrote Empire. <clears throat> I serialized online in 06. And then uh, from then to 2011, when the sequel came out, it was pretty much all zombies. So a little burned out at the moment, but by no means done with them. <laughs> but, uh, but there are plenty of other apocalyptic scenarios. There's no shortage to ways that we can kill ourselves. So I've been, I've been you know, venturing out into, into other sort of alien scenarios or uh, naturalistic stuff like, like insects and um, just kind of trying to, trying to figure out all the different ways that, that we may eventually eradicate our planet. Yeah. And this newest one, and uh, we'll talk about this, but uh, the harvest cycle, uh, mm-hmm. I've been reading about that, and it seems to be getting, I mean, people are really excited about this. Yeah. Um, and it's actually next up. I'm, I'm putting this on my Kindle next. Uh, I can't wait to awesome. get into it because <laughs> it just, again, I'm not surprised from you, but just where does he come up with this? I mean, this is, <laughs> is going to be great, you know, and I thought the same thing with Empire uh, because the whole, the whole gist and the whole idea behind Empire was so original. Um, and that's, you know, everything that I read from you, I just, I love your creativity. Um, but uh, like when, when Empire came out, um, of course you serialized that online, so that's maybe a little unique, but um, I mean, do you have a lot of people and, and I guess submitting the things to publishers, maybe uh, having people uh, read things before you try to put them out there? Or are people just like, you're crazy. I mean, this is, I've never read anything like this before. You know, it's, it's, is it too out there? Do people, you know, maybe think it's too out there or is it, uh, are people generally sort of open to just exploring all these crazy realms that you put us into? Um, the people who read it online, the, who, who read the serial seem to be, uh, generally really, really open to it and interested in it. I think it was, it wasn't until after, uh, it hit print that this kind of love hate thing developed. And then maybe that's because, you know, now we've got people putting down their money for it. Yeah, and you know, and so if it doesn't meet their expectations, there there are definitely um, some criticisms that I mean, there were you know ones which I would consider to be you know sort of uh, legit things on the level of you know the character development can be spotty, the narrative jumps around a whole lot, but then there were things which are you know more subjective and more power to you. Everybody's got their preferences, but there were certain people who were like you know one star, this isn't a zombie book. Because the zombies can can use tools, because wow. some of them run. You know, the Grim Reapers in this. This, this isn't a, a zombie. I mean, I know it's not. You know, fucking Romero, and I'm not gonna try to be Romero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have been comfortable writing and putting out uh, a zombie story if I hadn't come up with something that I thought was something that you know fellow hardcore zombie fans hadn't seen. Yeah. And, and, you know, so sometimes that's going to, you know, it's going to lead to people who dismiss it, um, you know, straight out. And, you know, again, uh, that's, that's fine. I, I just, I, um, I don't, what I don't like is people who are like clamoring for less of this deviant new weird stuff and more of the same. It's like, you know, yeah. let's just have both and read whatever you want. Right, right. And it, <laughs> Yeah, it's not like you're forcing it down their throat and you, you like you have to read this book. You know, you have yeah. to I mean, if you don't like it, 
then just move on. Find an author, you know, somebody that's doing more what you want to do. And and um, but you know what, man, that is the mark I think of a great artist is it, when you get something, you put something out there that people respond either one way or the other, you know, polarizes people. You don't have a bunch of lukewarm, you know, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was okay. You know, you don't get a lot of that. You either seem to have people who really, really love it or you have, you know, the haters out there. Um, but I think that's great art. And that says a lot because you're, you're evoking a reaction one way or another. Um, yeah. So I think that should be flattering. Well, you know, it, I mean, it is, except for the one stars. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we, we rationalize it as, as best we can. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's just, you know, some, something to do with Empire. I mean, I've always been a horror fanboy. I've always been a horror geek. And I've always hated the people who take the approach that their sort of subjective preference of how a certain, say, monster should be is just the way it should be. Like it's a religion or something. Right. Uh, there's this term that I wish I had coined, but I didn't. Fundamentalist to describe these people who, who, who will tell you, you know, a true, you know, a zombie in real life wouldn't do that. A zombie, what do you mean a zombie in fucking real life? You know, zombies can do whatever the storyteller wants them to do. You don't have to like it. But, you know, if a zombie's flying around with a cape, you can't say, well, that's not a zombie. It is. It's a flying zombie. <laughs> I love it. That's what a lot of people, and I've said this time and time again on my show when I hear people talking like that, because it drives me nuts too. You know, I'm just like, let's just all remember that we are all sort of operating in the world of make believe here. Yeah. You know, this is not real. And, uh, but people get so passionate about it. And like you said, yeah, they, they just think that one line of how zombies should be, how vampires should be, how werewolves or whatever should be. That's how they should be. And if you deviate from that and all of a sudden they can do something outside of those lines, then you're wrong. And why, why have you dared to cross that line? Because you've just ruined everything that is right about that. Yeah. It drives me nuts. And And people talk about, um, like, you know, particularly, you know, when it comes to Romero, of course, who, who gave us the, the modern zombie, uh, people go on attack saying, you know, you're changing Romero's rules. But I mean, and I can't speak for the guy, obviously, but I don't, I don't know that he has ever objected to that or has a problem with people, you know, taking the initial concept and then building upon it. I mean, he, he himself has taken the initial concept, built upon it, changed things around. I always think about uh, the fact that he wrote the foreword for Skip Inspector's Book of the Dead, which was such a diverse and divergent collection that you know oh, yeah. most of those stories didn't resemble Romero's uh, you know dead world at all, and so you know again I I don't I don't know what his take is, but it doesn't seem to me that you know he's not like this Old Testament God who's like okay here are the rules. <laughs> he's he's changed his own rules even over these decades. Yeah, that he's made them. I mean, in Night. Uh, first of all, the graveyard zombie, Bill Heinzman, he's sort of galloping, going down the road, chasing after Barbara in the car. And, uh, you know, after she's gotten out of the car and she's running the farmhouse, you know, Bill Heinzman there, he's, he's going at, at, at a brisk pace. He's not running, yeah. but he's not walking or, or shambling. And, um, then in the movie, of course, you know, we see him beating on the doors with all, you know, all kinds of whatever they can find to sort of beat on things. So the zombies are using tools 
And again, he sort of backed off from that a little bit, I think, in Dawn and Day. And then, uh, oh, heck, now he's got them riding horses, for crying out loud. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think he's, you know, he's sort of, uh, uh, don't get me started on the, this latest batch of Romero films. But, uh, you know, so the bottom line, you know, even he, even though he, quote, wrote, you know, the gospel on, on the modern zombie, uh, it's still open for interpretation, even his, and for expansion and creativity. So... Yeah, it's uh, it drives you nuts. But again, it's such a personal thing. You know, horror is such a personal thing. It affects us on such a deep level and we internalize yeah. things and we're scared for that, that uh, oftentimes we can't understand why other people would be scared or accept things that are outside of that. So I can, I can sort of understand it, but it, it's tough whenever you're a creator like yourself, you know, an author and then really trying to uh, grow and kind of go outside the boundaries, create something new, and, uh, meet up with that resistance. You know, how hard is that for you? Oh, um, I, uh, I, I certainly, I, I never seek it. I, well, occasionally I set out to you know, <laughs> piss people off, but no, mostly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mostly I just, I have such a, it's, it's like a compulsion to, what I like to do is take, okay, uh, you know, we've got an archetype, a monster archetype like the zombie. Here are sort of the classic traditional rules. Um, here's, here are the conventions that everyone expects. And then how can I put something new in there, you know, turn it on its head without losing the essential, uh, you know, the essential creature. And, you know, again, it's, it's up to readers whether or not I accomplish that, but that's, what I feel compelled to do when I write monster stories, whether it's, you know, werewolf or, or a vampire or whatever, try and come up with something weird that hopefully will surprise the diehard fans. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, going back to empire, it, it, that totally did it for me. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And, uh, of course that was, uh, when did you first start working on empire? And, uh, um, even before now you, you had already written a good bit of it, before you put it up online, am I right, or am I? Am I? Were you writing it as you were posting it, or how did that work? Um, I I was I'd say I was a few chapters ahead of the of the uh, online posts, but I was going along as I wrote it. In fact, there was um, I did a thing for Halloween, and and maybe this speaks to uh, how <laughs> the narrative is is a little haphazard, but um. For Halloween, I, I put up a poll uh, on the Premier, the Premier Press forum, asking folks, uh, you know, here here are some of the central characters. Um, who would you like to see die in the Halloween installment? And I, you know, I had no idea who they were going to pick, but I was going to abide by it. <laughs> I thought that I thought that that would be kind of a a fun way to, um, you know, as as the as the writer the the one pulling all the strings to, to kind of step back and, and get lost in, in, you know, the randomness and the chaos of it, not knowing who's going to get taken out. Oh, I love it. That's so really that was cool. A lot of fun. Yeah. And it would be, um, because, uh, you know, I do a little bit of writing myself and I, I just know whenever, uh, you just sit out there to write something, um, and there are really no boundaries or no constraints, you know, no, no real guidelines you have to abide by. It's just like pretty much write, write whatever. Um, it, to me, it often just ends up as a mess, and I go this way, I go that way, and I just can't figure out you know what direction it's going. And I, 
it just all gets convoluted and weird and eventually I just abandon the thing. And it's almost like whenever you start introducing those sort of constraints, you know, and, and maybe, yeah, you ask, you ask your readers, well, where do you think I should go next? You know, vote on it and that's, that's the way I'm going to go. That sort of introduces a limitation to you. You know, you have to do this. You really yep. don't have a choice. And so you sort of have to be creative. You know, it's almost like it, it's a it's a springboard for um, new creativity where you have this as a constant. This has got to happen. So you sort of uh, create around that. Whereas, again, if you would have left it wide open, it almost it, it would have been, I think, a little more challenging to to come up with something interesting. I don't mean, is that what you would you agree where um, maybe if you were under certain constraints and certain guidelines where you have to sort of stick within this, that maybe that's a way to be more creative rather than just to write and anything could happen. Um, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, both are fun. And in the case of the the poll, the Halloween poll, it was sort of a fun creative exercise because I liked all of these characters. I had, you know, uh, sort of visions for how they would develop. And one of them was going to get taken out. And I was, you know, and so knowing that, but not knowing yet who it was going to be that, I mean, that was a sort of an interesting, okay, so now here's some new parameters that I don't control and, you know, let's see how I roll with it or not. And, um, and, and I guess it's, it's somewhat sort of the same thing with, uh, with what I was saying before about trying to tweak, uh, a monster concept. So wanting to again, turn it on its head, come up with something surprising, but not destroy the rules, not destroy yeah. the essential monster. Say, okay, no, I'm, I'm still, this is still a dead person eating living people, but I've tweaked this and this. That's like, I, I was thinking about, I, I love, um, I love those uh, versus movies. Like, I mean, not, not that I really, <laughs> Alien versus Predator, I did not love, but I love the con, I love the concept. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where they, you know, because I like to see how do they take these two universes that have rules and merge them without breaking the rules, mm -hmm. and and I think that that's that's an interesting creative uh, challenge. And if they can pull it off, I'm always impressed. And I thought that you know, like the premise of Alien vs Predator was really cool, and then I saw it. And it's, yeah, it. <laughs> the other one that comes to mind, just on you know, on that uh, note, is uh, Freddy vs Jason. Yeah. And uh, that was certainly something that um, I, I enjoyed the movie. It had its, its weaknesses and everything. But that's an example, I think, of a film that uh, the you know big Hollywood, the big filmmakers out there were really listening to what horror fans wanted yeah. and, and sort of gave it to them. And whether or not you're happy with it, you know, that, that remains to be said. But uh, at least they were listening to what sort of the fans were demanding. So, you know, I often criticize you know, big film and everything, all, all these uh, corporate filmmakers for just doing film for all the wrong reasons. But they, they yeah. did it right there. So, yeah, and that one, that was one. I mean, it was like this legendary, I mean, decade long struggle to find a script that yeah. worked. And I think when they brought Shannon and Swift on board, who wrote the, you know, the final script, that I, I mean, from what I've read about them, they're, they're a couple of, uh, you know, Friday nightmare fanboys. And so, they were really dedicated to keeping it true to the mythology as opposed to these, you see some of these other um, rejected scripts online yeah. Yeah. where it's like 
Freddie and Jason in a boxing ring in hell and shit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I think they did it right. And, you know, again, uh, there, you know, it wasn't a hundred percent perfect, but I, I came yeah. out of that movie just really happy with it and, and sort of surprised that there hasn't been a sequel yet because it's obvious they're, <laughs> they wanted a sequel and they yeah. left it open, but, yeah. uh, who knows? Who knows? But um, anyhow, you know, getting back to Empire, you know, it's interesting to me uh, to see, uh, you know, a story that first had its life serialized online and then you decide to take it to print. And um, it has really met with a lot of success. And would you sort of say that that was the springboard towards a lot of other things that you've done? Because that seems like, you know, what a lot of people know you for and has opened up some some opportunities for you so is that is that accurate yeah absolutely yeah after um particularly after permuted struck this deal with uh with simon and schuster to to re uh, re-release several permuted titles as um gallery books titles and empire uh, i was lucky empire got to be one of those it, it just you know the the sort of interesting invitations and, and requests start coming in and it's definitely been, uh, you know, that, that was, that was the beginning for me, definitely. And, you know, even though, you know, we've talked about it's empire itself has had a, a mixed reception, you know, I, I still, I wouldn't have it any other way because I mean, you know, that was my first novel and, um, warts and all there it is. And it did manage to get me to, to where I am now. So, um, even though I, I recognize, uh, you know, people's criticisms of it, I, I'm still proud of it and I, and I would still, you know, encourage people to check it out because, um, you know, the, the stories, I kind of look at, at old stories like Dean Koontz. I'm like, <laughs> I think I just said 15 different sentences in one <laughs> sentence, no. but here we go. Dean Koontz. <laughs> went back and rewrote a bunch of his early stuff, like touched it up and, and reissued it. And I would just, I would never do that. Even though I know if I went back and looked at the early stuff, there would be, there would totally be things that I would do differently. But I just feel like it would be, it would ruin the authenticity of the story to hmm. do that. You know, it's kind of like those books are, or, or stories or signposts in my rear view that sort of express what I knew or thought I knew about writing, what I knew or thought I knew about myself. And, um, and I like to have them out there as is. So I'm definitely proud that Empire is, is still the thing that most people know me for. Um, yeah. That's a great take uh, because actually that was going to be my next question. You know, have you ever considered going back and sort of reworking these things and where you are now, of course, with, uh, you know, much more experience, you're much more skilled and everything that uh, you could go back and polish these up. But uh, I, I sort of like that take on it where it's just like that's that's a piece of history right there. And you sort of don't want to don't want to mess with it. You know, let it be what it is and. You can go back and look at it and have pride in that and know that that's where you were at that point yeah. in time. And um, because, man, you have grown since then. And like I said, I've, I've had a hard time keeping up with you um, since I read Empire in, um, what was that, 2009 after uh, I got it there at Horror Realm. And uh, yeah. you have been extremely prolific. I'm looking at uh, your bibliography right now on your website, man. And um, I'm intimidated. I'm like... 
I want to catch up, but wow, <laughs> I uh, sort of have to have a lot of time to do this. But I'll tell you what, um, one thing that I did read uh, fairly recently, although I'm looking now, and it was uh, 2011 when this was put out, but um, you had, uh, and again, you know, I, I just, uh, I follow you on Facebook, and so you, you know, you put up stuff randomly here and there about uh, where you can find a new story of yours or something, and, and I just yeah. happened one morning um, that uh, you put up that you were in the uh, One Buck Zombies anthology. Yeah. And um, you did the levies of the sticks. And so I'm like, yeah, for a buck, you know, I'll give it a shot, you know, and I can read a story by you and a bunch of other people and, and stuff. So, that you know, why not? And uh, I loved it, man. That, that was really, really cool. It's it's brief and it hits you. And it's it's just I really enjoyed it. And it's actually still well, on my Kindle right now. And uh, um, I'm looking to go back to it again and read it again. And it's just uh, and that's a really quality sort of um uh, line that they have there that uh one buck horror is uh, yeah. really cool and uh but uh yeah i mean so you know i i just uh i i see that you have been growing here over the years and uh it's just uh it's really cool now are uh, have you seen that sort of growth you know throughout the years as far as what people have been uh saying about your writing and things um that uh maybe be are you more polished now are you more uh, can you develop characters more now? I mean, how do you see people reacting to your work now as opposed to maybe back in like 2009? Um, the stuff that's that's come out in the last few years has definitely had uh, a much a much stronger you know sort of across the board um, response. And I think um, I'm definitely definitely getting way better with characters. You know, back back when I wrote Empire, uh, I was trying to to create. I, this entire you know world show the apocalypse on this global scale and every little aspect of it and there were just so many characters running around it was like war and peace only only it was only you know <laughs> 300 pages and so now the stuff that i'm working on right now i'm finding that you know two three or in one case one character you know uh, is is really all I need as far as uh, perspectives from which to write. I don't I don't find myself jumping around as much. And and I guess something important that I've learned from um, other better apocalyptic authors is that you can show the grandiosity and scope and and horror of an apocalypse without showing without actually showing it. You don't need to do Independence Day if you just do you know a, a very personal story about one person's experience of it that can deliver all of the enormity plus it's you know it's a, it's a, in a personal way that that uh connects with the reader oh yeah yeah and it, that, would, that lines up perfectly with what i experienced you know i just mentioned you know levies of the sticks yeah. uh which you did you delivered such an apocalyptic bleak uh scenario um just in this one little setting that you had you know they're holed up in this little tunnel and yeah. that was pretty much it and you said so much and you, you sort of uh, painted a picture of a, a much broader, broader thing for me. And um, I just appreciate that when you're able to make me imagine things on a, a much bigger scale and so much outside of uh, where you've written. You know, you show me the snapshot yeah. of something that's happening right here. And all of a sudden my mind takes off with different things about what has been happening outside of this and why has it happened and how have other people in this universe been affected. I mean, and you did that for me here, um, which is really great. 
really great. And uh, it's all about the imagination and, and evoking things in my mind, the reader. And uh, that's what really scares me. That's where the horror lies, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, well done. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And, and that's a great point. You know, it's, it's not... It's not really up to the writer to lead you around by the hand and, and show you, and this is something I had to learn early on, to, to take you around and show you, okay, this, in case you were wondering, this is what this is like. You know, you, there are some things where you, the reader letting their imagination run can come up with something way better than, than anything that you can, you know, cook up after, you know, a pot of coffee and, a, and an all-nighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... But, uh, you know, coming up on, uh, you know, things that you've been doing lately, of course, just writing and writing and writing. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out when do you not write? Um, <laughs> you know, is this pretty much I mean, how, what's your writing schedule like, man? Because you, you write so much here. And um, I mean, obviously, do you do like this sort of thing where you write every day, whether you feel like it or not? Because I hear a lot of that advice from authors or do you just sort of write? as you're inspired or, or what's your thing? I'm one of these, uh, do as I say, not as I do. I, I would, <laughs> I would advise people to develop a writing discipline and try to put down a certain number of words every day. Not necessarily having to, like if you're in the middle of a story, you don't necessarily have to put another 500 words on it if you're not feeling it, but write something. And I don't do that. I, I just, like, <laughs> like you said, if I'm, if I'm feeling it, um, I'll, I'll write. If not, I always do, though. I mean, have the, the creative drive is always there to do something. It's just not always writing. So sometimes I might uh, just sit down with watercolor and, and do some painting or, you know, try and come up with some other way to get that energy out. Because definitely, if, if I do, I'll say this if I go through a day and I haven't done anything creative, I feel like, it, you know, I might as well have not gotten out of bed. That is very cool, actually. It's something that um, I've been thinking a lot about, and I've heard from a lot of people in the past years, um, is that if, uh, if you do some sort of creative whatever, uh, you're, you're an author, you're a musician, you're a painter, something, um, where maybe if you are feeling like you've hit a block, um, like writer's block, or you just, you're, you're feeling burned out creatively, you can't, you can't come up with anything, then maybe try if you're a if you're a guitarist trying to write a song and you're just you can't come up with anything then maybe yeah you turn and you start uh writing something or you know listening to something completely off the wall or doing something yeah. something that in a different way sort of channels your creativity and sort of gets those pipes flowing again and uh I love what you said though you know you'll you'll just turn and start start painting and uh maybe that'll help the whole process sort of start up again with your writing. Yeah, and another great thing to do is is uh, to read. You know, sit down and, and get lost in someone else's world. And um, I know some sometimes I'm, I'm reluctant to do that if I'm doing it with the writer's block because I'm worried about, you know, unconsciously lifting something. Right. But, um, I you know, it, it like you were saying, when you start reading a story and getting into it, you you start creating like this entire world in your head, in your imagination. It, it's almost like someone writes a book and puts it out there, and every reader's experience of that book is like a like a parallel universe springing up, you know, that's similar but different. And um, 
And so, you know, reading somebody else or reading someone else's work and ideas and, and style can inspire in ways that don't actually involve, you know, springboarding off of their ideas. Because, you're, you know, your mind, as you go on about your day thinking about the story, you're thinking about tangent after tangent. And before long, you're somewhere completely different. Right. And you're, you're off rolling on your own idea. Yeah. And that's what I've heard is that uh, the best writing school, if you're an author, the best writing school that you can go to is just by reading other yeah. people. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I found that true. You know, uh, to me, like I said, I, I'm, I've always loved writing my whole life and I've just always really struggled with it. And I've, I've bought a lot of books, you know, and Man, you know, I just love going to Barnes and Noble and going into that whole sort of, uh, you know, writing section, you know, where it has all these help books, you know, write, here's how to write scripts, here's how to write fiction, here's what to do, you know, the 10 steps to writing a great novel. And, you know, and these are all great things to do, but um, in the end, it just, I don't think it really gets you going mm -hmm. um, nearly as much as reading a great great Stephen King or a Dean Koontz book. And it's funny you brought up Koontz, man, because uh, Koontz was actually uh, the author that got me really, really into reading yeah. and, and wanting to find more books, especially because he was sort of spooky and uh, had the whole horror suspense thing. My, my very first book of his was Midnight. And um, it still freaks me out to this day. I, rem I was in like junior high when I read it and I had never read anything like that before. Um, and it uh, totally screwed me. Have you have you read that book of his before? Um, I I know the title, but I'm not sure if I have. You know, I probably haven't. Well, it's some. It, it's this little weird town where um these people are given this chemical that causes them to regress into uh, some sort of formal primal state, depending on sort of uh, what they um have a tendency towards. So, for example, um. There are people that regress into these states of just being animalistic, ripping people apart and murdering and things like that and regress into these beasts. But then there are these other people who um, are so into technology and their computers that they literally mesh with their computers. Like their, their oh. flesh becomes part of the machine and it sort of becomes, you know, everything is, is uh, connected and you can't tell where one ends and the other begins and... And that kind of thing. And so um, it's sort of uh, the story of this little town being taken over uh, by these regressions uh, of all different kinds. And they're trying to figure it out. And it just really, really messed with me, um, but got me interested, um, especially in horror. Because at that time, I wasn't allowed to read Stephen King. You know, Stephen King was sort of a taboo yeah. thing. And uh, it was <laughs> like, uh, you know, late 80s at this point. And so, you know, my, my grandma bought me a Koontz book. And so... Koontz wasn't nearly as uh, notorious. Uh, notorious? The hell word is that? I don't know. You're an author. Is that a word? I don't. I, it is now. It is now. Uh, it is now. Um, notorious as Stephen King. So uh, that was okay. But uh, um, but yeah. So that was what got me interested. But also in writing and trying to come up with these crazy ideas because I read crazy ideas and then I want to make crazy ideas myself and I can see the sort of chances that authors take. And then I'm like, well, they, man, they totally took this chance. And this, I mean, this is you perfectly right here. They took a chance and they made it work. They made me love it. 
But this is the, the concept, just thinking about this concept on its own, it's insane. But you totally sold me on it. And uh, it, it's, uh, it, it takes a, you know, a special kind of author and, uh, and everything to uh, inspire that in people. And um, so, yeah, go out there and find the greats and just, uh, just read them. Because that's, that's really the best sort of inspiration um, that uh, any sort of writer can have. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you're sort of of that mindset as well. But, um, you know, you mentioned Kuntz. Um, what other writers, I mean, even grown up or even now... Um, have kind of shaped you. Um, you mentioned Books of the Dead, which is uh, a, another series that uh, I'm really glad you brought up that I found as a, a junior high schooler myself. Yeah. Because I was so into zombies, and that was the only zombie book on the shelf. Right. You know, it was Book of the Dead. And uh, so I bought the first two of those, and they were amazing. And I, I forgot that Romero had, had uh, prefaced the, uh, the first one. So it's really cool. Um, well, you know, and this, and this really, this is why people need to start reading when they're young. This is why kids need to start reading because you're so much more open to all of that, you know, those sort of uh, crazy concepts and, and, you know, you don't have this sense of limitation and structure. You don't have this sense that even in fiction you have to draw a line and you can't do this or that. You know, I, I think it's, it's a great time. It's a great time to get exposed to horror. I mean, you know, uh, maybe not all horror. My parents had a, a, they had all of King's books on the bookshelf in their room, and I was forbidden. So anytime that they were out of the house, I was over there, you know, pouring through them. And, and I read, you know, Thinner and The Shining, and you know, it was the only one that was the one I, that was like the the big Kahuna. That was the one that I really wanted to read because clowns freak me out. <laughs> and but it was such a big book, I wouldn't be able to like. I, I, there was no way that I could sneak it away and, and read it and get it back without being discovered. <laughs> so I, I did not get to read it until my 20s. And, uh, and, and that, oh my God, that's, it, it's my favorite novel. It's, to me, it's, it's a perfect villain and it's the best book about childhood that I've ever read. And, um, yeah. and that, uh, and and of course it has Lovecraftian elements and, and Lovecraft's another big inspiration of mine. That's that's definitely King and Lovecraft. Uh, to answer the original question, King, Lovecraft, Barker, um, are big inspirations of mine. And I'm glad that I at least uh, through uh, subversion got to you know start checking them out when I was a kid. Because isn't that great when like a story, it just, it so fucks you up because you're a kid and you believe it, you know, and you can still, as an adult, you can think back and recall that, that, uh, that fear. That's oh, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, that's, it's such a, a cool thing to, to be able to recall the fear that didn't have boundaries, the fear that couldn't be tamped down by, oh, that's stupid, that would never happen. You know? Right. right. Great point. Great point. Because uh, I, I was feeling that when I was talking about Midnight and what that did to me, and I'm still getting chills. You know, I, I just, I, I get a physical feeling yeah. still whenever I think about it. And the other one, um, you know, when I talk about Night of the Living Dead, and uh, the first time that I saw that when I was a kid, because that is why I am so into zombies now, is because I saw that at, I think, just the right time in my life. I was really, really young. 
and it was on TV on Halloween, and I recorded it. You know, I I set my my VCR to tape it on Halloween, and and uh, man, for weeks and weeks after that, man, I was hearing every noise, every bump, everything that was going on outside during the night was a zombie. It was something coming to get me, and it kept me up. I mean, I literally remember bursting into my parents' room in the middle of the night one night and saying, I can't believe I watched that film. I am so scared. There are <laughs> zombies, and I just, I, I'm so scared of them. And um, that's how much it affected me. And just thinking back to that and where I was at that time, I still get really scared, and I, I still yeah. get that feeling. And there's sort of that special thing there. And it's really cool that you're that way with, with it. And with the clowns and that whole thing yeah. with uh, childhood, it's, um, yeah, it's really yeah, special. As a, as a writer, it's to be able to access that, that feeling, like you said, this is physical, visceral kind of feeling, to be able to still access that because that's what you're trying to evoke uh, in readers. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, man, man, so much uh, you've been doing now. We mentioned the Harvest Cycle. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's out there right now, and I am so interested in this. Um, so, uh, what's going on with this book? Uh, I've read about it, and uh, again, man, you're you're pushing a lot of boundaries here and being really <laughs> creative with a lot of things. But uh, just to give everyone out there a, a, an idea, um, what's this all about? All right. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. This is um, it's an apocalyptic scenario where the end has been unfolding for about fifty years. Um, it, it began with creatures that had been seeded in the beds of Earth's oceans aeon, eons ago, eons ago. And one, uh, one morning, they suddenly rise from the depths on every coastline and they stream inland and start killing people. And this continues every year for 50 years. At a random point every year, these things come back. And no one knows you know, no one's sure of what their agenda is, where they came from. Um, the problem that has kept humanity from from striking back and, and stopping them, or at least getting some understanding of them, is that um, in this world, there are androids which uh, have worked side by side with humans and uh, really, in a sense, you know, control a lot of the, the sort of infrastructure. Um, you know, we we turn over uh, for the sake of of convenience. We turn over control to these machines, and then when this event begins, the machines their logic becomes distorted because they make contact with the entity behind the whole thing, and so they determine that the best thing that they can do because they can't save humanity, and what awaits is a fate worse than death. So the best thing that they can do is exterminate humanity. As, as you know, sort of an act of mercy. Hmm. So you've got these alien creatures hunting humans, and then you've got the robot death squads running around trying to mercy kill every person they see. And and so humanity, the humanity's getting hit from all sides, and they've been driven underground. Uh, and and the story, uh, the novel involves a, a group of people who who think that they might have a way to stop the. Uh, the creatures, but they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to go through these robots as well as all the crazy cannibals and all the other stuff that's part of every apocalyptic world. Wow. It's, it's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> well, I just, uh, to me, it's just so brilliant that you can bring all of these different things, man. And 
converge them, meld them into a, a coherent story. One that is getting very great reviews. I mean, even just to bring up the Amazon page right now yeah. that it's on. I mean, you have, you know, just a sliver under five stars, which is great. And, um, man, it's, uh, I mean, you know, when thinking, you know, especially of this novel, but of course, you know, you've done so much of this over the years, just drawing from a lot of different things and bringing in uh, a lot of influences. I mean, how do you come up with something where I'm going to make a, I'm going to man, make a novel about, you know, humans are living underground and, and there are these robots and then there are these other things and this, and I mean, how do you, how do you decide to pull all of these crazy diverse elements together and still maintain some sort of, you know, a, a coherent story and something that's gripping, you know, has some hooks in it that's going to keep the reader going. You know, um, well, this one, <clears throat> like a lot of stories, in fact, I think Empire, the same thing, uh, started with a nightmare that I had. Hmm. And a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're in a nightmare, it's it's sort of bizarre and random and the rules don't make any sense, but they do in the dream. And, and it's so terrifying. And then you wake up and kind of that, you know, your adult kicks in and says, well, obviously that didn't even make any sense. But once in a while I have a nightmare where I, uh, it's, it's more cohesive. I had this nightmare that I was in a, a lobby of a high rise hotel, not a lobby, excuse me, a lounge. I was way up high on, on one of the upper floors and I was looking down, and there were these sort of pink, raw-skinned uh, humanoid things running around the streets with these enormous claws killing everybody. And, uh, and so I and the other people in this lounge are sort of trying to figure out what's going on. And then I look across the way at this rooftop just on the other side of the street, and perched there like a, like a gargoyle is one of the things. And it's just, it's, it's claws are kind of clicking together, kind of tinkling like, uh, like wind chimes. And from that became, came the, uh, the alien part of the harvest cycle, the Lovecraftian part. And then the robot thing, not too long after that, I was working on a story for a permuted anthology called Robots Beyond. And I, I don't know, just kind of out of nowhere, I thought, why don't I put you know why don't I write a, a story about you know robots dealing with these creatures uh, the, the harvesters they're called and I thought well why don't I just why don't I do that in the novel why don't I make the novel that instead of just this you know one off story and and that's when it really started to take off so I mean it's it's a blending of of weird sort of dream logic and and just other randomness down the line that that comes into play hmm. wow well, I just, it's uh, just so beyond me how you can manage to bring all these things together and make it coherent, man. It's, uh, you know, I, I guess just, uh, you know, relating it to dreams is uh, sort of the best way to put it because uh, that's, you know, it's, it's all very sort of dreamlike. But when you're in the dream, that's sort of how it is, you know, and the dream sort of makes sense at that point in time while you're dreaming. Yeah. Um, and to be able to translate that again, you know, it takes a lot of talent um, that you obviously can do. So that's uh, that's really cool. And I, I love that you were talking about dreams and uh, using them as a source of inspiration. Because, um, again, I, I, you know, I've read that. I've read so many writing books, like I've said over the years. 
And uh, that's one thing that uh, has come back again and again um, is that, you know, just start start logging your dreams. You know, if you have yeah. a dream, just go and write it down. And it may not make any sense, but just write it down and whatever. And actually, um, every dream I've had since about 2005, 2004, 2005, I've actually written down. And uh, I have somewhere. So every night, if I can get up in the morning, remember my dream, uh, I write it down. And uh, that has, you know, has had a lot of inspiration for me, you know, as far as, uh, you know, some story ideas and weird scenarios and, and things I probably wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Um, but uh, do you do that a lot? Is that uh, a dream something that uh, you find inspiration from? Do you, do you actually write down your dreams or is that part of your life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I have a tape recorder next to my bed Beautiful. so that I don't have to turn on the light or anything. I can I can just sort of half wake up and mumble whatever and then go back to sleep. And which, you know, sometimes makes it a little hard to transcribe, but uh yeah, it's it's um it they're like kind of like little gifts from your subconscious, you know, because I mean, it is coming from you. That's that's, you know, those are your ideas, but that's stuff that you can't really access consciously and and it kind of drifts up from from the bottom when you're asleep and sometimes i wake up and i play the tape back and i'm like i don't i don't care if hulk hogan was killing people with a spoon that's not a, that's not a story <laughs> but other times it becomes the springboard for a story that i'm really proud of and it, again i think it kind of goes back to you know we were talking about when you're a kid and you're scared and the fear is is like unabated and without limits because you're a kid, it's kind of the same way in dreams. You know, like you were saying, the dream has has a logic that doesn't really work, but it does in the dream. You just accept it, and you're terrified. Yeah, yeah. And what makes that work? You know, and and it's really interesting to me to try to figure that out. I mean, is is it just because you're there and you're in that dream, and it that's just sort of the reality that you're in, or is there something bigger about it? You know, something else that makes you believe. Um, that what's going on is actually there and that you accept it. And I, I, I just don't know. And uh, I think, again, it takes somebody special like you that can sort of recognize these things and take certain elements from here and there and be able to put them together like that and uh, say, yeah, this is actually ridiculous. All these elements are crazy. But here, I'm going to make sense of them for you and make a great story out of it. And so that's, uh, that's a lot to be said for your skill. Oh, well, you thank do. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So uh, we talked about Harvest Cycle. Um, it's uh, it's out there right now, of course, you know, and, and print and Kindle. Um, like I said, I think before we uh, started recording tonight, um, th this is the next one up that I'm going to download on my Kindle probably tonight or uh, tomorrow. Sweet. Um, and I can't wait to get into it uh, again, just uh, delving into the whole uh, uh, this whole Dunwoody uh, sort of way of thinking and uh, the way you write, man. I just really, really enjoy it and the trip that you take me on every time. Um, but, uh, what else is going on out there right now, man? Because again, you're, you're so prolific. I can't even keep up with you. Um, so what else is going on for you right now? Well, I've been, uh, I've kind of fallen off the radar a little bit cause I've been working on novels, uh, and I've got, I've got two that I'm working on right now and I'm sort of going back and forth on which one I want to submit first. There's this whole thing, Simon and Schuster, uh, they've got like they uh, contractually have first look at my next uh, finished manuscript, and so I'm really wrestling with you know which one to send in because this is uh, you know they weren't looking for Empire that was part of this whole deal 
so that they could get um, John Bourne's uh, David A. Armageddon. And so, um, I, you know, I really want to knock it out of the park. So I've been taking my time with that, not writing a lot of short stories. But um, I do have some stuff coming up. Uh, Chaosium, who put out a lot of great Lovecraftian uh, material, are putting out um, a couple of anthologies. One's called Undead and Unbound, the other Eldritch Chrome, and... I'll have stories in those, and hopefully we'll see those both this year. And then uh, an outfit called Fringe Works are putting out an anthology called New Tales of the Old Ones. It's another Lovecraft-inspired anthology. And I've got uh, sort of a novelette in there, whatever you call an 11,000-word story. There are like five <laughs> different terms for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so in terms of output, things are a little slow right now, but... Big things are coming in the future. Yeah. Slow for you, but still a, a very fast pace, I think, for any normal writer, you know, <laughs> any average yeah. writer. So, uh, no, that that's great. Um, so are you intimidated? Do you feel pressure? You know, you've had you've had success with what you've done before, you know, with Permuted, which is, you know, a great, uh, great press to be working with. Um, and uh, do you feel, you know, like you sort of have to perform? And you you, you got to make sure that this is good. And so how, how are you handling that pressure to make sure that you're putting stuff out there that uh, is going to sell and that people are going to enjoy and sort of takes your your work to another level that people are expecting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with, you know, when when Permuted uh, picked up Empire, you know, they, they were just starting out. They'd been going for a couple of years. Now they are one of the premier presses in, in the small press in apocalyptic fiction that there are writers you know like like great writers like peter kleins who are going on to make you know uh multi-book deals with um big house publishers yeah. and so uh i definitely feel like you know i i need to i need to keep up and uh you know i, I don't want to be a i don't want to be a footnote in this uh this small press movement so um at the end of the day, though, I really try not to let it affect the writing because I, I a long time ago, I you know, as I was I was doing Empire and uh, its sequel, I um, figured out that if I just stop caring about outside influences and just write the story, that it usually comes out the best. Doesn't mean that you know it's certainly not going to be perfect. It's not necessarily going to be a hit, but I, I, I won't have any reservations about it. And, and that usually seems to result in a, in a better story. So I just try not to, you know, think about that pressure. Yeah, that's good. That's a great uh, mindset to have. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, you know, uh, editors sort of, uh, you know, can sort of bring you back to reality in a, a yeah. you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ways where uh, say, well, maybe this isn't so great, and maybe you thought it was sort of great when you wrote it. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> uh, is that a struggle? I mean, I, I don't know it, it, the, the certain levels of editing that go on, and uh, uh, you know how many, you know how much back and forth you have with uh, with people before this actually goes to print. Uh, you know, after your first manuscript, but uh, is that hard for you to deal with? Maybe somebody coming in and, and sort of slaughtering <laughs> your work <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> presenting that to you is that hard well i've never i've never had an editor try to actually rewrite my story like like i would have a problem with if they started 
saying, you know, let's introduce this plot element instead because that would be better kind of thing. Hmm. Um, I, I've certainly have had uh, manuscripts where we did extensive edits. There was one, um, uh, a really, a really great uh, longtime editor wrote me after accepting the story and he said, this is so well written, but I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> we went we went back and forth for I don't know a couple of months until finally you know it it made sense it's it, again it's one of those kind of it's it's the problem with writing dream stories it makes sense to you yeah. but then you know luckily that's that's why editors are there they're there to uh, step in before the thing hits bookshelves and and say you know what people aren't gonna understand what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> yeah. But it's hard, man. I know I'm, I'm, you know, involved in a lot of uh, creative sort of things myself, and uh, it's just really hard when, whenever that's sort of your baby, you know, and you're just like, yeah. man, this thing is so beautiful, and then you hand it over to somebody else, and they they start criticizing it, you know, and and maybe not even mean, but they're like, maybe this could be better, maybe you could sort of do this a little bit better and change that and whatever, and it's still just kind of. It kind of hurts, you know, on a certain level, and you just sort of have to, I think, develop that sort of mindset, a, a lot of thick skin to to deal with this, because uh, um, it is tough. It is tough when you're putting yourself yeah. out there, you know, exposing yourself so much. Um, so it's uh, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to to do this and to handle it well and to come out of it well. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, you've you've done it well, and man. Man, I'm um, I'm looking forward to everything that you're uh, you're doing out there right now. Of course, this is uh, DavidDunwoody.com is where you can uh, yep. find out about everything. You have a ton of stuff up there right now. I you know just over the past few weeks, um, that you know we've been communicating here and about doing this show. I'm like, man, I gotta get caught up on on him <laughs> because I feel so bad. Um, like I'm such an asshole. I you know I, I've I, <laughs> well no I've I've you know I feel like I've known you for a lot of years. And yeah. then all of a sudden, I, I feel like I, I've just fallen so behind in everything that you've done. And I go to your website, and I'm like, this all looks awesome. And where have I been? You know, I've, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, and um, I just do, I, I feel like, uh, man, I really should have been keeping up with this. But uh, everyone needs to check this out because uh, you have links to all your works where you can find this out. That, uh, you know, everything pretty much is either on uh, print or Kindle. And... Um, so it's uh it's all awesome, but uh, yeah, if you're reading uh, Dunwoody for the first time, you got to start with Empire, you know. Even though it's one of his earlier works, and yeah, it's it's sort of an earlier effort. It's it's awesome, and uh, the sequel, I, I still haven't gotten to that, of course, because um, I again so far behind. But uh, you've written a lot of other places, a lot of short stories that people can find out uh, more about, and um, of course, you you need to support David because. Uh, Again, man, an independent writer for all, you know, you know, you're, uh, you're pretty much, you're not, uh, are, are you like contractually, uh, are you contractually obligated to permuted where you're pretty much, um, what you write is on their press or can you sort of, uh, do other things for, um, hey, you know, like different anthologies and stuff. Are you still able to submit to like other presses for short stories and things, or are you just. With oh, them yeah. for novels, or or how does that work? Um, I mean, other than this this contractual obligation with Simon and Schuster, I'm I'm pretty much you know free and clear uh, 
I'm definitely, I, you know, I definitely consider myself part of the permuted stable as well as, um, cool. you know, Dr. Puss's stable, but, uh, I'm, I'm free to, you know, submit stuff to, to other presses and I, and I, and I do try to look for new presses. I don't want to get too comfortable in, in one place where, you know, it might get to be, I see some writers get, they get very comfortable with one press because, you know, they just, they gel with the publisher or the editor or whatever and I think while that's good to find a fit like that, to stay exclusively there, it's going to hurt you, you know, not to take chances and branch out and try new stuff. So I, I, try, I try to go all over the place. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, man. You try to just go out and uh, reach as many people as possible, you know, because not all these presses are reaching everybody. And um, yeah. so, you know, you're definitely getting out there. Um, so, I mean, would you consider, uh, you know, ever sort of, uh, you know, going back to your roots? Um, because you, uh, you started out sort of, uh, you know, with Empire, you were serializing this on the web. Would you ever consider doing that kind of thing again? Just uh, going out and serializing another, I don't know if you, could, if you could call it a novel or just sort of a serial sort of story. And again, I don't know if that would sort of uh, um, be a... Uh, conflict of interest with any sort of uh, thing that you have going on now with presses, but would that be something you could, you would consider trying out again? Yeah, I would definitely still be open to that. I think the the one thing I would do differently is that um, I would I would definitely want to have an editor on board. You know, hire somebody to uh, to to you know to to go over it before I put it online. Uh, while it, it's great to you know write something and then immediately post online and get that immediate feedback, um, and and that was I think that was really helpful for me uh, when I was just starting out. I think now I would I would want it to be polished as can be before I put it up. But yeah, I would still be open to to doing that. I'm I'm hoping to do all kinds of weird stuff <laughs> before uh, before. I leave this mortal coil. And by the way, don't feel bad about, listen, I'm behind on like every author that I know <laughs> and every author I like, I'm going to die with a huge to be read pile. And, and if I'm lucky, a bunch of half finished novels that I've been working on. Yeah. And I mean, not to, not to, uh, I don't know, sort of, you know, put you in with a big group, but again, you know, just thinking back to the everyone that we uh, were with at Horror Realm and that that sort of period in time, um, there there's so much to be read and so many great yeah. things to be read. So you're like, there are so many great things. So what great, awesome novel do I read now? You know, because they're all good. They're all worth reading. Um, and it's just so hard with so much being out there. Um, so it's... Uh, you know, again, jumping from you, and I think uh, right before Empire, I read Stephen North's uh, Dead Tide. Yeah. And uh, I met him, and, and he's he's like a teddy bear. I mean, he's the nicest damn guy you're ever going to meet, and just give him yeah. a big hug and hang out. And, and uh, you know, just so many. And I, I, I still I talk with uh, Tonya Brown a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another amazing author, and she has her own podcast now and is still writing her, her crazy, crazy... Uh, you know, sort of fiction. So, um, but man, I could go on about everyone. And it's sort of like you're in this whole class of, 
of uh, authors that came out around the, that time that uh, were really, really special. And, uh, you know, my goal is to read as much of your work as possible because uh, certainly it is very rewarding. And again, like I was trying to say, it's, it's just so important that uh, everyone support you as an author um, because it means, you know, every purchase on the Kindle and uh, in print and physical, you know, print, uh, everything else means a lot to you and um, does that much more for you as an artist and an author and just uh, keeping some food on your table and keeping your writing. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, again, DavidDunwoody.com has everything you need. Um, and, of course, I'm going to have all these links up on my website. Um, again, uh, man, David, this has been phenomenal. And uh, I don't feel like I've really scratched the surface tonight of uh, – a lot of uh, what you've done and a lot of uh, your writing philosophy, although I've learned a tremendous amount tonight. And so uh, I hope we can do this again, man. And uh, I just uh, I can't wait to see what you're going to come up with next because it's it's really, really entertaining for me and uh, a lot of brilliance. So thank you. Well, thank you. This has been really fun. We definitely need to do it again. All right, man. Well, let's call it a night. This has been... The Electric Chair, of course, electricchairshow.com. You can find me again, like I said before, at midnightcory.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, pretty much anywhere where I can whore myself out on the social media uh, sort of networks. I, I'm there. You'll find me. And uh, David, you do a lot of the same, do you not? Um, you're yeah. on Facebook and Twitter and everything. Yeah, in fact, yeah, you go to davidnoe.com. I got links to all the, all the places where I'll spam you about my new books. Oh, sweet, sweet. And it is it is the good kind of spam. You know. Yes. Stuff that's shown up on your timeline and you're like, I'm glad, man. I'm that wow. He's put up some stuff. Man, I can't wait to figure out what he's writing about now, because it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> so man. Yes, let's do this again and uh man, let's call it a night. Thank you, man. All right.
podrá tener 